0: Today's episode of the Heart of Giving podcast is part of a special series we call Made by the Bay. During these episodes, we get to feature amazing people in the Bay Area who are shaping the social landscape of that community. We're grateful for the generous support of Tipping Point Community for making these episodes possible. <music>
1: You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate, and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode.
0: Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Today, we're going to talk about work going on in the Bay Area through an organization called Amigos de Guadalupe, and this organization works to help young people improve their educational outcomes by supporting them with wraparound services that make their education possible, and to talk with me about this amazing work going on is their CEO and founder, Maritza Maldonado. Maritza, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Maritza, tell us about the work you're doing at Amigo de Guadalupe.
2: Sure. My pleasure. We are a place-based agency in East San Jose. We are a working-class community. We are part of Silicon Valley. We are your nannies and your dishwashers and your cooks and your bus drivers and your gardeners and your nonprofit workers and teachers. And we are the people that keep the machine humming of Silicon Valley. We are the backbone. We are the essential workers of Silicon Valley.
0: And how do you help these folk do that work in Silicon Valley and become viable, particularly in an area that is uh, I say, home to some of the wealthiest people and some of the highest costs.
2: Yeah. We talk about tailored tale of two cities here in San Jose. You know, we have millionaires are made every day here. And so what we saw with the pandemic and is what we see every day is, is that poverty hit us hits us every day. And what we do know is that the reality of of poor communities of color, not only in San Jose, but throughout this nation got hit the hardest with COVID. And so it literally cut a line through the city of San Jose back to us in East San Jose. And there was no more denying that inequities exist because of that. So our work is really about Trying to uplift those voices, beating the drum every single day, and trying to have our elected officials and people of goodwill really support the work that we do tirelessly every day on behalf of our community.
0: So let's talk about the work itself. On a daily basis, what kind of services are you providing?
2: Sure. So we provide Education work. We lead with our education work. We do after school. We do summer school. We provide mentorship and also scholarships, mainly to first generation folks. Uh, We provide rental assistance and also financial assistance. We provide immigration legal services. We, for a community that is an immigrant community here, we provide housing. So we run one emergency shelter called Casitas Esperanza, Tiny Homes of Hope. We run two interim hotels, 160 rooms, 145 rooms, and we do the work all for families, so individuals with their kids or parents or grandparents uh, raising their children. And then we provide ESL and citizenship classes, and we believe that Getting our our folks through the pipeline and becoming citizens and becoming voters is part of our democracy that we want for all of our folks here in our community.
0: Well, you mentioned something up front that I wanted to just hold up for a minute, which is that you are essentially the workers in Silicon Valley that support everything that's happening out there. What would Silicon Valley be? If it weren't for the people that you're serving,
2: I think a Silicon Valley would not be Silicon Valley, right? I, I think we can look at at California, we can look at Silicon Valley, you know, uh, but there are Silicon Valleys throughout this nation, and I think we can point to those across the nation. I think, I think what what's really important is that people understand the importance of the essential worker and what they contribute to the economy, and mainly what did they contribute to Silicon Valley. You know, uh, my dad was a janitor and and mopped and cleaned and and buffed those floors in those Silicon Valley uh, high-tech companies. So I know know the profile. I know the worker. I saw it at home, and, and this is who we serve. And unfortunately, we have not valued our essential workers in the manner that we should be valuing them, mainly the resources that should be given. Look, when when uh, the pandemic hit, people came into my office and I had to sit across from them and they're saying, I have no money to bury my loved one. Mm.
1: It
2: was Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. I have no money to bury my loved ones. So literally I'm I'm scrambling trying to find, okay, well we can give you a thousand dollars, right? I'm calling up friends saying, Hey, you know, do you have some money that you can because we people are coming in, and, and this is a common story that we were hearing over and over. So it's it's been uh, tough for our community, and it wasn't just a pandemic. It's years of social and racial inequities that have plagued East San Jose, and we have been the most under-resourced community in East San Jose, and, and we'll continue to uplift those voices through our work.
0: Clearly, you have a passion for this work, Maritza. Where does that come from? You mentioned that your dad was a worker himself in many of the office buildings. I guess seeing him go to work every day may have led to you doing some of this work. My mother, for instance, worked 37 years in the kitchen of a department store. And I watched her leave home every day, never complaining, happy to have a job, doing that work. And, you know, we actually worked there for a summer and I knew just working there that one summer for a few weeks that I was going to college. There was no way in the world I was going to do that for my life. And so you get a passion, you know, when you grow up around people who are living this life. Right. And so how did did, did that impact you in any particular way to to give back now?
2: Absolutely. So I quite fortunate to look out my window and I could actually see the street that I grew up on. And so that is what fuels my passion i am first generation mexican american in this country my parents immigrated legally to this country not to say that that other people haven't done it legally, but I think it's important to mention because I think at the time when my parents immigrated, there was opportunity for immigration from Mexico. Mexico is now one of the countries that have the lowest number of people allowed to immigrate legally into this country. So my dad was sponsored, came over to this country. My mother came later and six kids later, here we are. And so I think my my passion for the immigration community came from them being able to grow up in this community that you don't have to assimilate right that that this community that is mainly immigrant newly arrived immigrants to this country place where people don't have to assimilate right away, don't have to learn the language right away, that the food is familiar, the music is familiar to them is is a beautiful thing. And so what I did see growing up was my father struggling to learn English. Uh, my mother was a seasonal cannery worker, so we, the Valley of Heart's Delight here in, in California. The orchards were literally our, our playground here. And so what I do know is that the passion for the inequities that existed when I was growing up over generations continue. And it should not be. And and I feel really strongly that the only way that this happens that we give truth to power, and that we lift up voices, and more importantly, that we center our work with the people, that they find their own voice, and they speak their own truth to power. And that's really the work that we do every day, and that's where my passion comes from. It's about what we all deserve, right, As as and what we all want for all of our family members. Uh, we're no different than anyone else
0: Well, you mentioned COVID. How was your community impacted by COVID? And what was your organization able to do to kind of assist during that really difficult period?
2: So, our community in East San Jose was hit the hardest of any community. Gilroy was the other one that's a couple of miles south of us, but here in San Jose, our east side community was hit the hardest. What we did was, as part of the collective, the CSIP Weather Collective, the five agencies really started having calls, weekly calls, to see what our response was going to be, knowing that you know all of us were hearing the stories of of people in the hospital and people intubated and people losing their lives and we started talking about, okay, we have promotoras, we have people that do this work already. And these are neighborhood people. These are people that live in the neighborhood. Let's get them out there door knocking and telling them, hey, you need to get tested. Here's where you go to get tested. You need to get vaccinated. Here's where you go to get vaccinated. And what we knew was that there wasn't a site in East San Jose. So we advocated Uh, There was a site set up down the way and people weren't accessing it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So drove over just to see why, you know, people weren't accessing this site. And there was a big badge that said, you are now entering a police facility. And I thought, hmm. That could be why people weren't accessing. So we pushed our elected officials to actually open in, open up a site here at the Mexican Heritage Plaza, which is literally at the corner. We were very, very fortunate in the fact that our city officials immediately supported the idea and were able to open up a, a testing site. And literally that testing site, the lines were were literally wrapped around a corner because our folks actually now had a place to to walk to uh, that they felt safe and trusted, and thanks to the partnerships of, of Gardner Health Services, who is literally down the way, that uh, brought those resources to our community. And then, food distribution was the other major thing. So the Mexican Heritage Plaza, the School of Arts and Culture there that do art and culture for our community became a food distribution site. Vegolution who runs our organic farm were literally boxing hundreds of thousands of boxes to deliver to our community. So our response was a coordinated effort. Our door knocking became a model for the county of Santa Clara. We have we continue to get funding for that work to get our our folks out there knowing about resources, especially around health. So we we're really proud of that work.
0: And I'm aware that you had some family members and friends impacted by that. One was your sister. I know that had to be a tough period for you as well.
2: Yeah, very, very tough. I, I think I can actually talk about it without crying now. My sister, Miriam, was our a retired social worker. She did that her entire career, and then decided to come and and work for Amigos, uh, volunteer actually for Amigos. She was our ESL and our citizenship teacher, and believed strongly in the power of voting, and wanted to to get most the the majority of our folks through through her ESL and citizenship classes to. Um, to register people to vote. And part of what we did when the pandemic hit was we uh, stopped in-person classes. We did not shut our doors. We were one of the few agencies that didn't. Again, being a place-based agency, we knew that our community needed us more than ever. And so what Miriam did was she started calling up her students and seeing what their needs were, how they were doing. And it was very early on. We didn't know much about COVID. There was no vaccine. There was no booster. Uh, We knew very little about about COVID. And Miriam took it upon herself. To go and start dropping off groceries for families, she took her own money and would go and deliver groceries and and she did that because she kept saying um, she said they have no one, and they were seniors for the most part, and she she kept saying they have no one and and they need food, and what are they going to do and she would cry about it right and I just said you know, please don't go, you know, we don't know what this virus is, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, and, and she contracted uh, COVID, and I think, and we've heard these stories, right, that I think the hardest thing for any family was that we couldn't be with our loved ones, and what that actually means, right, and Our Catholic faith uh, talks a lot about the anointing of the sick. And so calling up our priest and having the nurse put the iPad in front of her and having our our priest give Miriam the anointing of the sick over, over video was just devastating for us. So a lot of lessons learned, but more importantly, I think, I think this was um it made me understand and empathize that, you know, we're no different than than the people that we serve and I was able to connect with with people when they would come in and, and talk about their loved ones and the pain that they went through in a way different way than I than I had and, But uh Miriam lives on in the work that we do every single day, and we show up, and her daughter is now the ESL teacher and the citizenship teacher. And so that's truly the work of Amigos. Our slogan is Tienes Amigos. Do you have friends? And obviously, we do. Wow.
0: Um, Now, with that, I'm sure too that you get quite a bit of joy out of your work as well. What are some of those more joyful moments that you remember and, and experience on a daily basis?
2: Yeah, uh, we have we get lots of joy. Uh, doing, I wouldn't be doing this work <laughs> if I didn't get joy out of doing this. Um, I think what we get the most joy, or I get the most joy from, is that I can see the impact that we're making and that We hire our own people from our own communities, so the young people that we support through scholarships, we invest in them. We support them through the four years. We have one young man that's actually in his 30-year medical school at Stanford University. And so those are our successes, right? We have these beautiful success stories. My director of finance was in the first cohort of scholarships that we gave. And he went off to University of Chicago. And the kid could write his ticket anywhere. And he chose to come back and serve his community unity. That's the joy. That's the joy. And at my age, look, the reality is that at my age, my work is about building up these young people to be the most powerful people that we want them to be to to change the world. And that's that's the joy that I get every day.
0: Wow. Um, I-, I wanted to just ask you about the work and the, the extent of the problem that you're trying to solve and essentially what do you need to to fulfill the, the whole problem? I mean, I know you're not able to get to everyone, right? But what would it take for your organization to really meet the need out there? And I don't know whether you would do that yourself or through collaborators. What would it take to really uplift all in your community that need the help.
2: I've done a lot of thinking about this. When I embarked on this uh, journey 10 years ago, I had no clue of what I was doing, <laughs> but I knew that I was I, I was being called to this work. That I can tell you. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I needed to do this work. We were incubated at, the, at my lifelong church. The pastor said one day, hey, I need you. And so this whole idea of nonprofit and starting a nonprofit came up. And so it was mainly because just looking at the needs of our community. So I think the ongoing need of the of our community has been historically under under resourced community. And so when I started Amigos, I also knew that we had other agencies within three mile radius of of each other and doing similar work and went to each of them and said, A, do we need a basic need nonprofit? And B, can we figure out how to work together? Because we were all applying for the same funding, the same, as I said at the time, the same measly $10,000 grants that they have us walk on water for, right? And everyone said yes. And out of that was born what's called the C-CIP Collective. We are five agencies working in the community. We have gotten national grant to do some of our work. But we're also committed to looking at best practices and models. And part of what we'll be doing in March is going to New York to visit Harlem's Children's Zone and learn from Jeffrey Canada's work and looking at how we can become the Harlem's Children's Home of the West here in Mayfair. And just starting that, we're going to be inviting some of our most influential folks, our city council uh, folks, our mayor, our county board of soups, and our educators. And we're bringing some of our community along for learning with us because what we do know is The importance of decision makers and how that can actually happen. So our work that we've started is block by block, door by door, getting to know our neighbors and, and moving that work forward. So I think what we need is just resources, not only monetarily, but really thinking partners with us that say, hey, I I know what questions to ask folks, what type of data we should be gathering to actually make this happen. I am a believer in what we can do. I know what a community given the will to dream uh, because so many of us have not had that opportunity because we're working two and three and four jobs, right, to keep food on the table and to keep uh, housing uh, a roof over our heads. and, And the reality is that that San Jose is now the most expensive city in the nation. So we work hard every day. So I think those are the types of things that we need. Housing. So we're actually looking at different ways of acquiring the housing. We we need jobs that pay a decent wage. We need elected officials to look at resourcing and prioritizing poor communities of color. And then we need policies that support our immigrants. We need immigration reform to happen in this country, and we will no longer settle for just band-aids of of DACA, uh, which we don't even know will access, but we need true immigration reform that will actually help our our community in the most important way which will give them some status to to get a decent wage job so families don't have to work three and four jobs
0: you know maritza one of the reasons i love doing this podcast is that i get to talk to people like you who are 250% committed to making change And you're doing it. You're making it happen. You have a vision. You have the will, which is what it takes. And, you know, if I could, I want to go back 10 years ago when you said, we didn't know what we were doing. And I and I go off on this riff from time to time when people say they want to start nonprofits because it doesn't make sense. You know, it does not make logical sense to start a nonprofit from scratch. Right. But you have you have something inside you. That says, I got to do this, even if it fails, I have to do it. And then you're driven and you do it and you get a little success and then you get a setback and you get a little success. At what point over this last 10 years did you kind of look at the organization and say, I don't know if this is going to work? And what got you past that?
2: Oh, uh, loaded question. Uh, so first of all, I'm driven by my faith, period, that I have, I I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm doing my life's work. I'm doing what I'm called to do and that I have just been uh, the vehicle. It's very clear to me who I am and what I do and why I'm here. And then I will tell you a story that I have not ever shared publicly, but we were in- incubated at the church that I grew up in. My family were founding members of the church, its largest church in San Jose. The pastor that tapped me and said, you know, I need support, left. And we got a new pastor. The pastor was very unsure of me, very unsure of amigos, were asked to leave the church. And actually, were we actually got an eviction notice. And so as painful as that time was, it was a real, a real point of really questioning myself and saying, okay, we could either close the doors and say, hey, it was a nice run. Or we could say, all right, kick me out of my church. it's okay, it's okay, and it's okay because it wasn't about me, it was never about me, and I think the lessons learned was that you can't pray the ills of of the world away, we can't, and I'm a woman of faith, our work and what we're called to do and what the gospel of Matthew tells us is feed the hungry, clothe the naked, And you can't pray that away. So that was a test, right? That was a test for me. That was a test of my own faith. That was a test of my church. That was a test of this agency. And there were a group of three of us at the time. We're close to 60 employees now. And I chose... Look, one of my employees said, Look, hell, if we have to work out of our cars and give resources out of our car, we'll do it. And so that journey was the most hurtful and the most learning that I ever had uh, in my life And, and also my own walk of faith and trust that the work wasn't ever about me. And so I think I chose to answer that. And like I said, this is the first time I've ever spoken publicly about it just because it, ha- it was extremely painful. But more importantly, this, this not only happens here, it has happened. There are other instances where power over people as opposed to power with plays a real integral role in who we are and it our faith is tested every single day how we do and how we show up is tested every day and we chose to to dust ourselves up off and keep going and here we are
0: amen to that okay there is one other question i forgot to ask which is about your event that you just had
2: ah yeah tell us about it sure yeah, thank you. We recently celebrated our 10th year anniversary and very excited about that. Like I said, we didn't know we would if we would be around in 10 years and and just really proud of of the work that we did. We also are our, our native son here in uh, San Jose and East San Jose is Cesar Chavez and and what we uplifted was his house came up for sale and literally a couple of blocks down from our office and and we were able to actually uh, buy the home of Cesar Chavez to preserve it for our community and our young people here in East San Jose. So we were able to uplift that at our 10th anniversary and. And share that for generations to come. We're in the process of of doing community uh, meetings to see what community wants to see in this space, right? And we just had a couple of weeks ago, our first community meeting and lots of wonderful ideas. So, you know, even though we're the owners, we say we are the stewards of this place and and so that was a beautiful story to be able to be told in our 10th anniversary and, and just proud as a as a young person seeing Father McDonald and Fred Ross and Sal Alinsky and Cesar Chavez as a young person, you know, literally knocking on doors and, and hearing those stories and and seeing the power of organizing and what organizing can do for a community. So that was what we uplifted at our 10th anniversary, that the power of the people continue and that we as marginalized communities will not stop till our resources are distributed equitably in our community.
0: Well, Maritza, I can't thank you enough for opening up and sharing with our listeners what you just did and the entire story that continues to unfold at your organization, Amigos de Guadalupe. I know in my heart that there's many, many more people who you're going to help before you're through. And I want to keep you in my thoughts and in my prayers and Let's keep your faith at its height so that you can do that work and do that work effectively.
2: Thank you, Art. Uh, thank you for, for allowing me to share my story and uplift the community of East San Jose. And I want to say that our full name is Amigos de Guadalupe Center for Justice and Empowerment. And the justice and empowerment work is what we lead with every single day. So just thank you for having me and allowing me to share my story.
0: Well, to all of our listeners, you have just heard an amazing story. And if that doesn't inspire you to continue doing your work, or if you're not yet embarking on work to make change in your community, this story should certainly get you over the fence and into the work. But I just want to say to all of you, I want to thank you for listening I want to encourage you to continue listening. You can hear more episodes of the Heart of Giving podcast on all major podcast platforms. And by the way, if you want to support us, we would be so grateful for your support. You can make a donation by going to give.org, give.org. And Maritza, thank you again for being a part of our show.
1: Thank you very much. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode to listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB wise giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.